Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Money and politics have become synonymous. Politicians spend the majority of their time raising money, which they claim they hate. The cost of campaigns escalates and more money is needed and more money needs to be raised. And where does that money come from? Not usually from small contributions, but from large invested special interests. The results is a system that is inherently corrupt and tilted toward big money, even when practiced by the most sincere and dedicated elected officials. We all seem to know this. What we don't see as clearly is the way in which this simple, fundamental, and relatively recent development is responsible for so much that's wrong with our democracy. Our wealth gap, political gridlock, inaction on some of the most pressing environmental issues. For focusing on this core idea, Bernie Sanders has been accused of being a single-issue candidate. But no matter where you stand on Sanders, it's increasingly clear that this single issue is the foundational idea underlying the paralysis of 21st century America. We're going to talk about this today with my two guests, Wendell Potter and Nick Penniman. Wendell Potter is a senior analyst at the Center for Public Integrity, as well as the senior fellow on health care at the Center for Media and Democracy. Nick Pennyman is executive director of the organization Issue One. He was previously publisher of the Washington Monthly and director of the Huffington Post Investigative Fund. It is my pleasure to welcome Wendell Potter and Nick Pennyman here to talk about Nation on the Take, how big money corrupts our democracy and what we can do about it. Wendell, Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Thank Thanks you very much. Thanks. It's great. To that, have- that was that was the that was the best introduction we've had so far. We should we should you should write uh, speeches or something. <laughs> Without a doubt. Well, thank you very much for that. I want to begin by talking about how recent this phenomenon is. Certainly, the idea of money in politics has been around for a long time. Attempts in the past have tried to to deal with this. Things like the Taft Hartley Act, the Hatch Act. We've been dealing with this issue for a while. What's different about the current wave of the problem? When I'll start with you. Well, I think uh, it is just the enormous amount of money that's being spent, uh, not just the presidential campaigns, but uh, uh, but at the state and, and local levels as well, congressional rates uh, uh, for sure. And we've seen in the, just the past uh, recent years, certainly since the Supreme Court decision on Citizens United and other decisions, uh, the floodgates have just opened. And we're, we're, we've reached a point in which our members of Congress in particular are having to spend at least half of their days every day, dialing for dollars. So we uh, we really have reached a point in which we've uh, lost uh, our ability to uh, self-govern. Nick, talk about Citizens United, because even before Citizens United, which is so much of the focus today, we were dealing with this issue. I mean, things like McCain-Feingold, which was originally going to try and deal with this. We were dealing with a pretty fundamental problem even before Citizens United. Oh, absolutely. And, and Citizens United, I think, has helped heightened public awareness in unprecedented ways um, of this problem. But but people forget that um, two things. In 2004, we forget that George Soros and a handful of wealthy progressive donors came together to uh, try to get John Kerry elected. They created an organization called Americans Coming Together, ACT, and pumped nearly $100 million into it. That was really the first uh, major what's called independent expenditure in modern times. But but even beyond that, even beyond the big check writers like that, you know what concerns Wendell and I most, and the reason why we wrote this book is because we're more concerned about the the fact that the uh, members of the House Finance Committee last year took thirty million dollars from bank lobbyists 
and bank executives. And the, the deep conflicts of interest in that kind of fundraising in Washington, which is day in, day out, pretty mundane fundraising, um, it, it, it aggregates and amounts to paralysis, absolute paralysis in our system. Wendell, can we make a clear link in the eyes of the public between the amount of money, the increase in the dollar amount, and the influence of lobbyists that's continuing to grow? Absolutely. That's what Nick and I set out to do in this book, uh, that is to, to, to make those linkages clear, to connect the dots for people, to, to help people understand how uh, the, how big money in politics affects us in our daily lives. And we, we look in the middle part of the book at five different industries and just how the flow of big money in many different ways, whether it's campaign contributions or lobbying expenditures uh, or, or spending in other ways by super PACs and, uh, uh, and big corporations and unions, how how all of this affects us in terms of the, even the air, from the air we breathe to the water we drink uh, uh, to the uh, uh, the kind of mortgages we get. Uh, and um, we profile a number of people throughout the book just to show how they are affected. Talk a little bit, Nick, about lobbyists and how they are directly affected by these numbers going as high as they are. Well, so if you look at the amount of money that uh, we're, the people the, <clears throat> will be raising this cycle versus the 2000 cycle, the 2000 election cycle was a $3 billion election cycle, total cost. Uh, this year, we're expected to have a $10 billion election cycle. So what's happening is, and, and now remember, there are 535 members of Congress, the House and the Senate combined. Those 535 people are as responsible for collecting the $10 billion this year as they were for collecting the $3 billion in 2000. So what you see is that they are, when members of Congress are spending twice, three times more of their time fundraising, the lobbyists also are having to write many, many, many more checks um, to fulfill the congressman's desire to, to stuff their campaign coffers. So, you know, what you've got are lobbyists who are getting bonuses either at the beginning of the year or the end of the year from their lobbying firms, and those bonuses are meant to go directly to politicians in the form of campaign contributions. Uh, I mean, it is, it's an absolutely sickening system, I have to say. And uh, and one of the things that Wendell and I point out in the book, and one of the major, major reasons why I wrote this book, is because we, we all, Republicans and Democrats and independents alike right now, have to be sending a loud and clear message to Washington that it's time to end this game. Our point is that this is, this is now a stage four cancer. This is not something that we can just watch and be disgusted with anymore. We've got to act on it. Wendell, would, would politicians say, and they say it on the local level as well as the national level, certainly members of Congress say it all the time, that they hate the process of having to spend all of their time raising money. To what degree do they really mean that, do you think? I think they mean it sincerely. I think that people, uh, many, many if not most people who who run for public office do so out of a, a sense of, uh, of, of truly wanting to serve. Um, and a lot of them don't realize until they, they're in a campaign just how much, how much time uh, they have to, to spend uh, uh, getting elected and, if they are elected, to get reelected. Uh, and it's at all levels. It absolutely is. And uh, not just uh, at the federal level, as you noted. It's uh, people who are running for city council, people who are running for state, the state legislature. Uh, it is pervasive throughout our system. And uh, uh, we are seeing more and more people just decide 
to retire early from their, their congressional or Senate careers uh, because of just uh, being exhausted from the fundraising and disgusted with the system. One of the things that seems to be happening on the, the local level as well, Wendell, is that the stakes seem to be getting geometrically higher everywhere. As congressional races cost more, you know, county supervisor races cost more, city council races cost more, that the escalation is happening from the bottom up. It's true. It's, it's almost like an arms race uh, uh, at all levels. It, it costs uh, significantly more uh, to campaign, and, and that's another reason why uh, members of Congress are finding uh, that they're having to spend uh, half their time. They leave their offices and go to cubicles uh, off-site to, to dial for dollars. And, and it's similar at the local levels because of the, the expense of, of campaigns uh, and also because your competitors are going to be spending amount of, uh, a similar amount of money or to try to, to, to defeat you. So absolutely, it's, uh, it's at all levels of, of, of government and politics. Nick, I want to talk a little bit about Citizens United because it's gotten to the point where it has become something that people talk about all the time, certainly as part of this larger conversation that we're having. But I'm not sure that a lot of the public fully understands how corrosive it is. Yeah, so let's let's very quickly explain what it was. Citizens United was a movie that was sponsored by a conservative nonprofit organization. The name of the organization was Citizens United. The movie was called The Hillary Movie. Um, they wanted to air this movie uh, about Hillary Clinton in the 2012, uh, sorry, in the 2008 um, election cycle when she was running against Obama in the primary. And according to the McCain-Feingold law. No outside groups, there's a grace period of 60 days before a primary election where no outside groups were allowed to um, run those types of, run any kind of political ads, okay? So what the Federal Election Commission ruled was that the Hillary movie was essentially an extended attack ad against Hillary. The group Citizens United sued the FEC and said, no, it's not, it's a movie, it's essentially a documentary about Hillary, we should be able to air it, and they won that case. Now. Had the had that case been totally restricted to freedom of the press and whether or not that nonprofit group had the right to air that movie, it probably would have been a, a fine decision that many of us, especially those of us who are in the media or formerly were like Wendell and I and, and you, Jeff, would have celebrated. What they what the Supreme Court did though is they they overstepped the boundaries of what was natural or germane to the case, and they said, therefore, because this nonprofit corporation nonprofit group is able to air this ad whenever they want. Any kind of corporation should be able to spend whatever they want on politics whenever they want to. It was that overreach that has been so dangerous. And uh, interestingly, though, the, 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 who it's really emboldened, not really corporations. We've seen a, some rise in corporate spending since Citizens United came down in 2010. Um, but it's really the billionaires that, that, that took that to heart. And the billionaires have decided to spend a lot more money, as, as you probably know, and maybe your listeners do. There's a family called the Koch family, uh, Koch, which uh, runs Koch Industries. The Koch family network has, has pledged to spend $900 million in this election cycle, which is more than the Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee will spend combined. So what, what you're seeing basically, Jeff, is that that ruling has created a great deal of permissiveness 
in the system that we never saw before that is really, really dangerous to our democracy. It is interesting that with each ruling, and this goes back even before McCain-Feingold, with each ruling to try and address the issue of, of the corrupt influence of money, the loopholes that follow it seem to open the floodgates even more. Wendell? Yeah, that's, that's true. And, and, and we've seen, um, well, we've, we've had kind of a constant fight to... Uh, terrain in the effects of money in politics. We certainly had the Gilded Age, and we had the, uh, the presidency of, uh, of Teddy Roosevelt, who probably was the, the, the single most important uh, champion uh, and most effective at, uh, at rending in the, the influence of big money in politics when he broke up the trust and, uh, and did other things uh, to, to try to clean up elections and the influence of money. Um, but there, and there have been pieces of legislation that have been that have passed uh, since then, over the years, um, uh, decisions have uh, have been made or loopholes loopholes have been found uh, that have uh, have weakened uh, the, the the laws that are on the book. And the loopholes, Nick, seem to get worse every time. I mean, we can go back to things like Taft Hartley, which I mentioned earlier, and and the Hatch Act, and the solutions to those created more opportunities for money. Just like McCain-Feingold, in many ways, the loopholes to get around that begat Citizens United. Well, they they didn't, they didn't. I mean, so, so, you know, one could argue that the Tillman Act, which banned corporate, which Teddy Roosevelt rammed through in 1907, and banned corporate contributions going directly to political candidates' campaigns, was a really good solution um, for a piece of the money. And, and that, that's withstood the test of time. Um, but yeah, there have been other ones where when you, you know, when you, when uh, some kind of reform has been proposed and accomplished, then the lobbyists and the political fundraisers figured out a way of getting around it. So, so uh, I don't know if you were going to get to this question, Jeff, but in terms of you know what we do to fix this, the big game changer is to do some version of of small donor financing of politics in this country, which which all comes down to the simple adage that those who pay the piper get to call the tune. Well, when those who are paying the piper are wealthy lobbyists, wealthy executives, and, um, you know, billionaire donors, then inevitably the policies that result are going to, the lawmaking that results is going to lean towards them. What we've got to do is is pass laws that incentivize a radical overhaul of the system so that small donors, you know, $25 donors, $20 donors, are supplying the bulk of the campaign money in our system, and therefore that's where our politicians loyalty and fealty will reside. It'll reside back with us, the people. Of course, this gets to this issue that we hear repeatedly, which was so much a part of what the Supreme Court has, has brought forth, of this equation between money and speech. Yeah, but the, it, it, but you know, here's the deal. Um, I don't know that we, I don't know that, it's, that we even have to take on the equation of money as speech. What we have to do is we have to get more of us participating in the system, again, funding the system, because those who fund it are the ones who the politicians then feel loyal to. So, I mean, you could almost kind of write off the money of speech argument. If we are able to radicalize the way campaigns are financed in this country by having all of us finance them, then the rest of it doesn't mean as much. So if 75% of the money is coming from small donors, let's say five years from now or six years from now, then then that actually will shift the power in the system back to the people. And there will still be certainly special interests that will be spending money trying to affect things, but 
the bulk of the power, the bulk of the money will be coming from us. How do we answer the issue, Wendell, that, that we hear oftentimes among those that defend big money, that the only answer is sunlight? As long as we know where all the money is coming from, everything's fine. Well, that's, uh, there's no doubt. We need more transparency. But uh, the problem is uh, that's not going to solve all the problems. Uh, much of what we're talking about is done in broad daylight. Uh, it is it is legal. Uh, but we're, we're talking about uh, uh, all the, the money that is spent to influence uh, policy and, and elections. Uh, it's not just the sunshine that's going to uh, solve the problem. It's, uh, we, we really need to have uh, legislation and, 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 and other, other ways of looking at this that uh, uh, can actually control uh, or, or limit the amount of uh, money that, like Nick said, the billionaires were able to spend to influence uh, elections. To what extent are we beginning to see some of this kind of legislation? I know Seattle tried uh, has tried an experiment with it. Some other cities have. Are we seeing legislation that begins to reflect the need that you're talking about, Nick? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Listen, there is there is a there is a movement arising in this country that is incredibly encouraging, and it's coming from the left and the right. It, um, and Seattle's an example, um, but. So is uh, a victory in Maine, which accomplished something similar, which is revolutionizing the way citizens in Maine uh, fund elections. Put again, putting the onus of fund fundraising uh, and funding of elections back onto small donors. Same thing in Seattle. Seattle's a, a really experimental. They um, what they did is they established what's called a voucher system, where each resident in the city of Seattle will be given essentially a hundred dollar gift card. Um, to fund elections with, and they can deploy that $100 however they want within the context of Seattle's elections. Uh, so it, it really does hand over the financial power within politics to every citizen, regardless of class. Um, that's, a, that's, you know, fantastic. There are going to be five ballot initiatives coming up this year in both red and blue states to accomplish um, similar measures, which would also focus on small donors. So you're seeing um, you're seeing a really remarkable activity at the state level that is being again run by interesting kind of strange bedfellow coalitions of, of left and right to try to to try to prop up new models. What is it going to take? Stay with that a second, Nick. What is it going to take to drive this even closer to a tipping point? I mean, we're clearly seeing people fed up and and talking about this connection between money and politics in this election cycle. What is it going to take to move the needle a little further? Do you think? It is going to take uh, we the people. It's just that simple, and it's got to be it's got to be a cross partisan movement too. It can't just be progressives or Democrats who are raising hell about this. And and all the polling shows that it's not. There was a poll that came out just last week, and one of the best polls I've seen, meaning the most expensive and expansive mm-hmm. poll, um, that said that 80% of Republicans are fed up with the system and want it overhauled. 84% of independents in the same poll, and 90% of Democrats. I mean, the, the polling on this, the unanimity of the public is through the roof on this thing. Now we need to bring our voices and our collective power to bear with our politicians. And we need to harangue and harass them until they understand that we are serious about them cleaning up this mess. What does all of this mean, Wendell, for self-funding millionaires and billionaires? What does it mean about all the self-funding? It means that that just a small number of individuals uh, and families are able to call the shots. Uh, 
certainly uh, at all levels as well, too. I mean, we're seeing uh, enormous amounts spent on the presidential campaigns, but much of uh, much of the spending is largely going unreported or unnoticed by the media. All the uh, amount of money that's spent to influence the makeup of Congress uh, and uh, uh, state legislatures in particular. Are people beginning to see, Nick, that, that what this is doing is creating a much greater disconnect between political leaders and the public? Absolutely. In, 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 in similar polls that have been done, in fact, the number one thing that people say about government today is that it's rigged. It's rigged. And it's rigged because of this problem. Um, which means that now that has two effects. Number one, that means that the policies that are getting passed are generally passed on behalf of special interests, not on behalf of all of us. Um, and number two, the other terrible negative effect is that people feel even more disenfranchised and disconnected from the act of governing, which is which is against the American way, against the American experiment, which is supposed to be a collective experiment in governing and self-governing. Um, so this goes to the you know this cuts to the direct core of what was launched 240 years ago with the American Revolution, and it completely contradicts it. So part of what Wendell and I say in the book is that we need to come together as Americans, proud of and patriotic about that original experiment, and to rise up together to say that we might disagree on other things, might disagree on certain policies, but we can all agree that reclaiming our collective right to self-govern this country is, is issue number one for us. How do we answer the argument that with all the money that is in the system, with all the attempts to create legislation to favor special interest, that what we have gotten is so much gridlock, and that if the money was really that corrupting and that influential, we wouldn't have the kind of gridlock we do? Nick? Well, that so there are two answers to that. Um, one is it, it actually exacerbates the gridlock because members are spending so much time fundraising that they really don't have a time to reach across the aisle anymore. When Senator Tom Harkin from Iowa retired from office, that's exactly what he said. He said, we, I, he said we, I just, you know, like the Senate dining room used to be full during the day with senators, and you could sit down and talk to your peers and work stuff out, and now it's empty because everyone's out fundraising. So, number one, it's exacerbating the gridlock in that way. Now, when it comes to the question of legislation passing, what you see is that the only kind of legislation that can get passed in a gridlock situation is legislation on behalf of very narrow, very well-financed special interests where they're able to buy enough influence on both sides to be able to get something to move. And, and this occurs all the time with finance. You know, Wendell, who's a former healthcare executive, can talk about how it occurs with healthcare legislation, but that's what you see. So the only stuff that ends up getting done gets done in these very kind of the dark of night, little tweaks, little loopholes on behalf of well-funded special interests that have a huge payoff for them and that ultimately, you know, end up costing us taxpayers down the road. Can any argument be made, Wendell, that anything positive has come out of this system? Not the system, but I don't think that Nick and I write about. Uh, uh, in fact, it's, it's, it's corrupting. It's the kind of corruption that our founding fathers uh, worried about, warned against. Uh, so no, I can't see that uh, anything good has come of all the money that's uh, that's flooded uh, the system, and we're not talking either either just about uh, influencing elections or lobbying members of Congress. It extends to the regulatory process. Uh, uh, we have a phrase called regulatory capture, and that means that uh, uh, the regulatory agencies that are supposedly 
um, regulating uh, the uh, various industries are really controlled by those industries because of all the money that is spent on lobbyists to to uh, to control control the, the regulatory system. Uh, so no, I, I think that um, uh, you might say that uh, uh, we, you know, as we have said and we're right, we're, we're not trying, nor is it uh, a goal to, to get all money out of politics. That's not realistic but to reduce the inordinate uh, influence of, of uh, the billionaires and, and very large special interests that are able to, to call the shots. And finally, starting with you, Wendell, how do you think this is going to play out? Just prognosticate with, with us a little bit. How do you think that this issue is going to play out in the context of what you're seeing in this national campaign? Well, for one, I think uh, uh, when Nick and I began writing this book, we had no idea that Bernie Sanders would be uh, a candidate who has uh, – his campaign has has legs as his does, and and that's the central uh, mission, if you will, of his candidacy and, and his uh, main talking point. Uh, it's about the corrupt corrupting effect of money in politics. Uh, I think that will last beyond this campaign. We're seeing candidates on the Republican side talk about it from time to time as well, too, and certainly at the at the local and state levels. Uh, there's a lot of movement, as Nick has mentioned, uh, in progress at the local and state levels, and I think you'll start seeing more and more of that. It has to really start, uh, I think, probably fundamentally uh, at that level more than, uh, and we'll see, I think, successes, more successes at state and local levels, and then more at the federal level. And Nick, same question. Yeah, I think I think if it comes down to Hillary versus Trump, Trump is going to pound her on this. It is one of her vulnerabilities. She's going to look like a big money candidate who's wedded to Wall Street, and um, he's going to weirdly, as a as a you know son of son of a centimillionaire, and now a billionaire, he's going to look he's going to end up looking like a populist. Um, and he knows that she's vulnerable in this. So I think this will become front and center in this cycle in a way that it never has before. Um, uh, I, I would be remiss, by the way, if I didn't mention that my organization, Issue One, which can be found at issueone.org is going to be doing a lot of organizing people in this election cycle about this issue um, and talking about it. And we've, we're, we're really one of the only bipartisan, cross-partisan organizations out there. So hope people will check us out. Wendell Potter, Nick Penniman. The book is Nation on the Take, How Big Money Corrupts Our Democracy and What We Can Do About It. Nick, Wendell, I thank you both so much for spending time with us. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. 